thing about um, the fact that God knows our love language. Do you think he's a bad communicator? Right? Or do you think that it's just you that's so deaf you can't hear him? <laughs> it's one of those insecure prayers, right? You know, God, you know that I can only hear at 10 decibels. You're not talking at me at 9.9 getting pissed off I can't hear you, right? <laughs> we love story because story and creativity creates more space than it uses up. And it has a profound respect for human beings that they could actually hear for themselves. I think a lot of times God is so good at communicating with you in your native tongue that you don't recognize it. It is too common to you. You're waiting to hear it in somebody else's language. This is a God who is a great communicator. And he's got to come in and learn my language. I mean, if I grew up where English is not my first language, my first Dreaming language is Donnie. I was a year old when we went into the highlands of New Guinea. Nobody had ever heard the language. When I was five years old, I was the informant for Wycliffe. It was my first language. When you go into a culture, that language becomes the point of connection. God is not like talking God language and saying, what is the problem with you? Love doesn't do that. Love's going to come in and find my language. And you see this happening inside the story. So, if we were to build a scale uh, of A to Z, alpha to omega, or just A to Z if you're Canadian, which I was born Canadian, and if you were to look at this, as it's just an imaginary scale, but say that um, we're talking about spiritual consciousness or awareness of things that are true, where would you put Abram coming out of Ur of the Chaldees? Where? Maybe B? Because you know about all the seminaries in Ur and the Bible schools and the local churches, right? Because there isn't any. This is Ur of the Chaldees where they worship the moon and Ningal and Nanu, the moon goddess and God. But Abram hears voices. So he's not quite an A. Maybe he's got a foot in B, because these voices are strong enough that he's willing to pack up everything that he has and pull his family out and go where? You know that he doesn't have a Bible to look at, right? I mean, he's like B. Now, God doesn't show up in N and go, Abram, what's your problem? You know, because when you're in A and a foot in B, you're terrified. And when you step into B, suddenly everybody in A is an idiot, and everybody in C is nuts. And this is where we're going to build our church. 
right? Because look, they're idiots. I used to be an A, but I had a second experience, a second work of grace or a baptism or something that put me into B, and now A people are idiots and C people, they're still way out there. So Abram is kind of God, and, and the beauty of God about the boxes that we create, that God, and I said this, that God loves us, and so the only time you'll find God in one of these boxes is because he wants to be with us. But the thing about God is that when he comes and steps in B, he's got a foot in C going, come on. You're going, man, I kind of like B. I got it under control. I figured out how to get some job security out of it. I baptized all my language so that it is, no, it's hiding the issue of performance and anxiety. And so I kind of like in B. C is kind of scaring me because it requires trust. I'm not into trust. I'm more into control. So, but God's going, come on. Now, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, a lot of times when God comes into the box and says, come on, God says, I want to teach you something new about me. And a lot of times it's, let me give you a new name to refer to me at. And I'm going to climb inside this name and reframe everything that you think you know. Because remember, Abram doesn't know God. He doesn't have the Torah. He is the Torah, right? He's not like referring to anything. He's in process here. So what's God going to show? Himself inside Abram's native tongue. What does God say to him? Abram. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because Ted and I grew up inside of a mission culture, and I don't know how much he would identify with this, but a lot of what we grew up in was framed inside of a narrative with regard to a story of Abram that absolutely devastated my generation. It was a story of Abram and Isaac. And the way it was narrated to us was that if you want to be really committed and you want to prove to God that he's a priority in your life, you need to be willing to put on the altar of sacrifice that which is most precious to you. And in fact, it ended up with a sense of antagonism between my affection for my children and my commitment to God. And unfortunately, that got tied into mission. And there was a whole generation where you had to be willing to lay your child on the altar of sacrifice in order to be part of the mission of God's purposes. And my generation, a bunch of us, were slaughtered in the name of the mission and, and a lot of it was framed on this story. The way it was presented was either Abram, either God didn't know if Abram knew what his priority was, so he's setting up a test. This is a test, right? And it's either going to be Abraham's going to finally realize that God is the priority compared with his children, or 
God doesn't really know, so this is going to be a test. And oh, good, phew, Abraham passed the test. Well, when God tells him, kill your son, what's remarkable about that to you? It's Abraham's response. Does Abraham go like, what are you talking about? What do you mean, kill my son? God says, you know, I want you to sacrifice your son. That's not the, the issue that surprises me is that Abraham's not freaking out. If you go to Hebrews and it's talking about this story, it says that Abraham kind of figured out one of two options. Either, because this is the son he promised, which Abraham wasn't able to produce on his own as, as much as he tried, which ended up in a whole issue with three brothers, right? So, or... God's going to raise him from the dead. But it's okay to sacrifice him. And you know the story. What if that's not the narrative? What if that's not the narrative? And see, here's where the invitation is into the questions and to look at things from Jesus. Do you see Jesus saying, Abram, kill your son? This is a good thing. What if the narrative is like this? Because you remember, he gets all the way up to the knife is on the way down and God says, stop. Abram, listen to me. I want you to know something that you didn't know about me. Think about Abram and why he doesn't react like any healthy parent would about the killing of his own child. Every concept of God that existed on the planet at this time was in... I told you. I will provide myself. 
Let me tell you, Abram, one of the very first things that I want you to know about me, I do not require child sacrifice. If I need a sacrifice, I will provide myself. It isn't I who needs the sacrifice, you do. You think that that's what's going to get you across this gulf that you created of separation. You. Need the sacrifice. I don't. But this is Abram's language. This is his love language. And God steps <coughs> into his box and says, come on. Because Abram, when this is all said and done, I will put an end to sacrifice completely. This is a God who knows how to step into my world in the confusion of it, in the darkness of it, and speak my language because he loves me. And I don't know how to speak his language. And you have this movement of the God revelation of God's very being throughout the experience and the stories of human beings. And even when Jesus steps onto the stage, they didn't recognize him. But there is no more common language than the language of a little baby born in the backside of a Middle Eastern country joining our humanity. Different narrative. A God who speaks our language. Who knows how to communicate. It's part of the beauty of what we're involved in. Okay. Now, I don't know what we're supposed to do at this point. <laughs> well, I know.